Good morning. I'm Morgan Radford, and I will be reading the scriptures today. The reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44, and 54 through 58, and is found on page 961 in the Bibles in front of you. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not of the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seeds its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from a star in glory. So it is... With the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. What is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immorality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not vain. Now you may be seated for a moment uh, to reflect on God's word. For two summers, I worked in a cemetery, and it was a pretty simple job description, actually. Mow grass and bury the dead. So for two summers, in between my freshman and sophomore year and sophomore year, uh, sophomore and junior year, I mowed grass and buried the dead. And I, I didn't think about it until I had a daughter, but I wondered, you know, like for my wife, who I was dating at the time, like, what were her parents thinking? Okay, we sent you off to college, and this is who you're hitching your wagon to. I mean, come on. But, you know, when you, when you do this job, uh, you learn a lot of things, and you learn how to dig a grave. And it's pretty simple. You have two guys. One guy's got a shovel, and he cuts out the sod so you can save the grass and put it back on the grave when it's all over. And then one guy comes in with a backhoe, and he squares out a six-foot hole. And then when he's done, the guy who's been cutting the sod, who cut the sod, he's got to jump down in the hole. He's got to jump down in the hole and square off the side so when you put the coffin down, it lays flat on the ground. And pretty frequently, since I couldn't drive a backhoe, I was the guy who got to jump down in the hole and square out the sides. And over the two-year period somewhere, you know what you're going to do if you're a guy? You're going to lay down in the hole. It's just something you got to do. I mean, it's kind of like a rite of passage. Well, I'm telling you, when you lay down in a six-foot hole that's meant for a coffin, some questions start going through your mind, as you might imagine. Like, how do you breathe down here with all the dirt? I mean, just, you don't realize, okay, nobody's breathing when they're down here. But you, you start thinking, 
So, th- so this is it. I mean, I was, I was just 20, so I'm thinking, I'm a long way from this, but one day this is it. I mean, somebody's going to cut out a hole, some, guy's gonna, some other 20-year-old's going to jump down in the hole and square it out, and one day it's going to be you going down in that hole. And you sit there on this sort of cool earth and think, I mean, is this it? I mean, is this all there is? Or, or could there be something more than just this being the end, sort of this cold, dark ending? Is it possible that somebody could actually come back to life, somebody could be resurrected from the body, and as Christians we say, yes, yes, it is possible. And the reason we believe it's possible is because somebody's actually done that. Somebody's actually gotten out of that hole and come back to life. And he has promised, Jesus, that he's going to bring people through that same six-foot hole alive and in a new resurrected body. That's what Easter is all about. And so we've been talking about the resurrection for the last four weeks. We've had this little series in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It's all about the resurrection. 58 verses here, Paul has been talking about the resurrection. And he's been giving a, an, an apology or a defense for the resurrection because the people in Corinth, they just couldn't fathom that there was actually a resurrection of the dead. It's not surprising when Paul first went to Greece, this place where there's a lot of intellectual knowledge, the, the most educated, he walks in and says, hey guys, somebody actually came out of the grave alive. You can imagine the scholarly sort of skepticism that came back to him like, no. I mean, we're all philosophers here and we all have some kind of point of view, but the fact that somebody came back out of a tomb, that's, that's not even possible. And so Paul gives a defense here in these first 20 verses he first argues from authority, verses 1 through 4. He's, he goes back and says, hey, for hundreds, if, if not thousands of years, the Old Testament scriptures have been saying somebody's going to be called the Messiah or the anointed one or the Christ. He's going to come and he's actually going to burst these bonds of death. And he's saying from authority, we can see it in the Old Testament. And then his second line of argument, verses 5 through 11, is arguments from, from evidence itself. The Apostle Paul had met the resurrected Christ. Over 500 people at one moment had met the resurrected Christ. And at Paul's writing the letter, many of those people were still alive. And he says, you could go find some. I mean, I'm one of those people. You could go find some of those people. They, they actually saw Jesus. So he's arguing from authority. He's arguing from evidence. And then he argue, argues from logic. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. If, if Jesus' resurrection isn't really true, then there's seven consequences that you have to buy into as well. So he has this really impressive argument. We've talked about that over the last three weeks. And you could go back and listen to those uh, on our website, but now Paul's pivoting and he's turning his attention away from sort of the defense of Jesus' resurrection to a, another question that's circling around the congregation at Corinth. And we see that in verse 35. Uh, he's, he's saying, now some people are asking this question, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come out of the grave with? I mean, we're, notice Paul's 
pivoting away from Jesus' resurrection to now trying to answer questions about your resurrection or my resurrection. And you can hear the skepticism in their voice, can't you? I mean, how, how are the dead raised? I mean, how can you get this new body? I mean, some people have been mar- buried for hundreds of years. And you probably couldn't even find them. I mean, it's just dust now. Some people have been lost at sea. Some bodies have been burned in a fire. I mean, what kind of body could somebody have after all that? And you can imagine that they might have been thinking about resurrection like resuscitation. Like somebody's dead, and then if they've just been dead for a few hours, you might be able to bring them back to life because there's something there to work with. But, I mean, if you've been dead for hundreds of years and it's just dust, what, what, what do you get back out of that? Where, where do you get a body from that? Or maybe they were think of, thinking of resurrection as reconstruction. So whatever they're thinking there, they're skeptical. And I want to look at Paul's answer to their skepticism about their own resurrection in three different ways this morning. First, that he's going to explain that the resurrection is understandable. You, could, you can get this. It's not that complicated. And, and I think he's going to explain it in a way even a child can understand. Secondly, that the resurrection is available. It's not only understandable, it's available to all those who believe in Christ. And third, it makes a difference now. It doesn't just make a difference in the future when, when you need to be resurrected. It, the, the reality of the resurrection for you matters today for you. So let's look at those three things. First of all, the resurrection is understandable. Look at Paul's fiery response to their skepticism in verse 36. You foolish person. Another translation, these are stupid questions. I mean, he's frustrated. His gift of mercy is not flowing out right at this moment. He's saying, I I hear all this skepticism. He's not kindly responding. He's saying, you foolish people, you're so stupid. These, These questions are so dumb. And they're asking this kind of question. I just can't comprehend how something can die, be buried, and then come back to life. Paul, help me. I don't understand how something can die, be buried, and actually come back to life. And that skepticism is met with, you foolish person, what you sow does not come back to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, look what you're eating today. All the grains that you're eating, all the fruits that you're eating, all the vegetables you're eating. Where do you think they came from? They came from a seed. And that seed, guess what it had to do to get to be a vegetable? It had to die be buried, and come back to life. You're watching it all the time in creation. Why can you not understand this? You're an idiot. That's what he's trying to say. And he's trying to help them understand that you should know that when you bury a seed, it's not going to come up a big seed, is it? No, it's going to come up something much more glorious. Pretty soon we'll have the, the pollen done and the pine cones will come out, and then you'll have that little single propeller, you know, 
pine uh, seed that kind of twirls to the ground. And then you'll see it. Little thing sticks into the ground. And several years later, what do you have? A big 60-foot seed. No. You have a 60-foot pine tree. It's, it's, it's got the same DNA as the pine uh, seed does, but it's something far more glorious. And you witness it all the time. This. It's not very attractive. A brown bulb. When you plant this, what does it turn into? It turns into this. You see it all the time. When you die and you get buried, this Easter lily bulb comes back up like this. And he's trying to help these people. You do it all the time. Most of you are involved in agriculture. You see it all the time. And I just want you to say, hear me say, if God can make this look like this, Imagine what he can do with your body, no matter what kind of condition you find it in. Do you understand how he's making that argument? It's very simple. It's, it's so simple, a child could understand what's going on. How many of you remember your first grade or second grade project? Remember you get the little clear glass, you know, a plastic cup? What do you do? Take a little pole bean or something. You stick it down in the, 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 the dirt. You put it in your windowsill, and what happens? You know, this green plant comes up. And, and if you've got the clear plastic, you understand the seed itself has to be consumed in order for the plant to grow. And Paul's just pointing out something that should be painfully obvious to anybody. That yes, you can believe, you can comprehend that something can die, be buried, and then come back to life. You, you see it every day. Second thing that Paul's talking about, his second line of argument, he's, he's moving away from this agricultural argument to creation itself. You see that in verse 39 through 41. He's thinking of Genesis here, the days of Genesis, and what gets created on these days. And so he talks about animals and birds and humans and fish and then the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he's saying, hey, you know, there's different kinds of bodies, heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And there's all kinds of variety in there. There's humans, there's animals, there's birds, there's fish in the earthly sphere. And then in the heavenly sphere, there's the sun, the moon, and the stars. Again, these are things that you see every day. And he's going back to Genesis and saying, God created these things that you and I think are spectacular out of nothing. Now, if he can create this out of nothing, imagine what he can create something out of something far more spectacular and he's saying you see it every day but you don't see it you're bl somehow you're blinded to the reality of the resurrection it's understandable and so verse 42 he makes this con so this conclusion so it is with the resurrection of the dead so he's saying hey let's look at this seed let's look at creation itself and we can make some conclusions our bodies that are going to be sown perishable, they're going to be raised imperishable. Our bodies that are going to be sown in dishonor are going to be raised in glory. Our bodies that are sown in weakness, they're going to be raised in power. It's hard to imagine 
what our resurrected body is going to look like if we compare it to this. And some of you are going, I look a lot like this. I'm glad I've got something like this in my future. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory. Very, very compelling from reading this text. Remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to today may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. You see what he's getting at? You, you walk around and you just look at people and you think they're dull. Not everybody, but you might think some people are dull and uninteresting. But, but if they know Christ and they're buried in Christ, imagine what these gonna, they're going to become. And that if you saw them today, it'd be like an angel. You remember when all the people see angels in the Bible, they all want to fall down and worship. And, and if you saw me, you might want to do that, he's saying, in my resurrected form. So the last point I want to make here about Paul saying it's understandable. I think we all understand that the seed has to die in order to reach its divine destination. The, the divine destination for this bulb is this. But in order for it to get from here to there, it has to die. And for the seed, death isn't an obstacle. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really be who I was intended to be. And Paul wants us to feel that same thing. He wants to say, hey, the, the sting of death is over, and now it's not a dead end for you. It's an opportunity. It's not some kind of obstacle. It's an opportunity for you and I to be buried and be risen again in the fashion that God had planned for us from the very beginning. That's what he's trying to help us understand. And I can't wait until that moment. I cannot wait to see myself and to see all the people I love in Christ that look like that. I mean, I'm not trying to get away from this world today. But the day that everybody we see everybody, you'll be like, I can't believe it. And you'll have your unique imprint. I mean, this doesn't become a pine tree. It becomes an Easter lily. And so somehow you're going to be able to see me and say, Paul? I mean, is that you? And I'm going to go, can you believe it? I can't believe it. It'll be something of me that you'll say it's him, but yet it's so different. It's so magnificent like the pine tree. You'd say, I just can't believe what God has done. And all the glory at that moment is going to go. It's going to go to God. Because only he could plant something in the ground and make it beautiful. And you and I, you're going to see it today. You're seeing it right here. You see it every day. You're especially going to see it this summer when you eat fruits and vegetables. You're going to say, where did this come from? It came from the seed, just like how God did it. And every parent can explain that to a four-year-old. It's understandable. That's why Paul's saying, it's so foolish that you can't believe it couldn't happen. You see it happen. You plan on it happening. Secondly, the resurrection is available. Verses 45 through 49. Let's look at this. Thus it is written, the first man became a living being. The last man, or the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. 
But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as we've borne the image of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man in heaven, or Jesus. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me try to make this clear if I can. And it's a very important point that I made last week that I I think needs to be repeated because sometimes it's hard for us to keep it in our mind. First of all, the Bible is very clear that every human being comes from Adam and Eve. The Bible is very clear about that. Verse 49, we all bear his image. And as such, Adam is our representative. We talked about this. He's the one in the garden that represents all mankind. And he's the one who's head over all of creation, although he is under Christ or under God in his headship over the world. And when Adam is our representative, when in Genesis 3, when he fell, all of humanity and all of creation fell with him because he's the representative When Adam was disconnecting himself with God, remember the illustration, the kite? The kite flies up in the air, and it feels like, hey, the only thing that's really holding me back is this stupid string. And if I could get away from this string, then I could really fly. And and Adam cuts the string that was connecting him to reality. He cuts the, the cord between him and God. And when he cuts that cord, he connects it to death itself. And because we're connected to Adam, then in Adam... We all die. That's in verse 22 of this chapter. Which leads to this question. Is there any other better representative we can get? Is there like another Adam that we can get underneath their representation? Or I can get underneath his headship? And the answer is yes. There's what uh, Paul is calling the last Adam. This is Jesus. He's born of a virgin. So I know I mistakenly said Merry Christmas. Thank you. Amen. But I want you to see how it's connected. Jesus has to be born of a virgin, so he's not under the headship of Adam. He's under the headship of God. And he's a second Adam. So you can't just say, I don't know about the virgin birth. That's not important. The resurrection. No, no, it's really all these things are important. They're all connected. They're all telling you this person, Jesus, is a different kind of person. And you can shift from being under a relationship with Adam to being under a relationship with the last Adam. So instead, Jesus was the son of God, not the son of Adam. And he came and he lived a perfect life, just like the first Adam was supposed to do, just like we're supposed to do. And on the cross, the imperishable Son of God becomes perishable. The glorious Son of God dies in dishonor. The powerful Son of God hangs on the cross in weakness to reverse the curse so that the last Adam exchanges his perfect life for your sinful one. And now we can stand in full confidence with 
before God with Christ saying, He's my representative. And Jesus, and then God will look at us just like we live the life Jesus lived and say, welcome, welcome home. That's, that's what we think in the Bible. is the, That's the Bible's worldview of how humanity is operating. And this being underneath the last Adam is available to all people. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, a number of us here are believers. But there might be someone here who's not quite sure what they think about all this. And I would say to that person, everyone's trusting in some kind of word, some kind of belief system. Yours, your parents, what you heard on television, a professor, a book that you read. We're, we're trusting in this word. It matches with reality. Everything we see speaks to how reality works in the Bible. And I wouldn't want you to miss this Easter to think about who's representing you when you will stand before the Lord. Are you going to represent yourself? Are you going to bring your professor in, uh, your big book in? Or are you going to bring Jesus in, the perfect last Adam, who's willing to give you his perfection? Third and final point here. Our resurrection alters everything right now. It's not, hey, I believe in this and now I've got the fire insurance in my pocket. So, you know, when I die, I kind of pull out my certificate and say, hey, I get to get in. I've got the ticket to get in. That's not how it works in Paul's mind. The resurrection does alter your life at, the, at your resurrection, of course, but it, it alters your life right now. It changes how you see everything. And I just want to pull out a couple of points. Verse 51 through 53, behold, Paul is just building steam here towards the end of this chapter. I'm going to tell you a mystery. Uh, we, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the, when the last trumpet sounds, these Easter leaders, lilies are so perfect, they look like little mini trumpets that the, king, the real king is going to come one day. And the dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed. And our perishable, body, perishable bodies will put on the imperishable. Because we believe this, verse 58, therefore, therefore it makes all the difference. Let me give you two differences. I wish we could spend more time talking about them. First is, because Jesus reconnects us to God, so our death isn't in vain, but our life isn't in vain either. And all the things that we do with our life, our labor is now not in vain. Now, why is that? Disconnected from God, your labor is in vain. You remember the, the, uh, Solomon in the Ecclesiastes? Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. If, I'm if everything is just under the sun, it's all vanity. But if there's some other connection to God, then something matters now about my life right now. 
And God isn't just redeeming your bodies. He's redeeming your labor. Let me try to say that again. God isn't just going to redeem your bodies. He's redeeming your labor right now, which is why it makes a big difference what you're doing with your life right now. He's going to redeem that. Your labor is like little seeds that you're planting in the ground. And God is going to bring those, those, those pieces of labor in his name to fruition in a way in heaven that you can't now imagine. Matthew 10, 42. Just to get some clarity on this from Jesus rather than me. If anyone has given a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple... I tell you the truth, he will not lose his reward. You see what Jesus is saying? Anybody who takes their labor in the Lord today and plants it, as small as it may be, just a cup of cold water to somebody in need, that labor is going to bloom in creation in a way that you can't understand. That's why Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, remember this? Don't store up for yourselves treasures here. Why? They get destroyed. But if you plant, if you do your labor for the Lord right now, whatever it may be, it blooms in a way in heaven that you and I can't possibly even imagine right now. So Jesus is redeeming your acts of justice. He's redeeming art and education and food delivery and care for creation and medical help. It matters what you do right now in the Lord. Don't you wish we had more time just to consider that? The little cup of cold water you give in the name of Jesus gets redeemed. It gets planted as small as it may be. And secondly, in this life, for those who know Jesus, the reality of the resurrection body has caused death to lose its sting. This is the news that you say at every Christian funeral, right? It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it's not discouraging. It doesn't mean a shadow doesn't come across the sky at those days. But because of the glorious resurrection, it's lost its sting. Once you grasp the beauty and the reality of the resurrection, you don't long to stay a seed Remember Paul in Philippians? He's like, I mean, I'm glad I'm here. And for me to live is Christ. But what? To die is this. So I'm, I'm perplexed. I mean, I'm glad I'm here because I'm with you. But, I mean, I can't wait for this. For me to live is Christ. If I'm going to go on living in this body, it, it will mean fruitful labor for me. He's going to keep planting seeds that in heaven are going to keep growing. So he understands that's worthwhile. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So death has lost its sting. Last story here. A pastor, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. His wife died and left him a couple of young girls to raise on his own. And he's driving to the funeral and he's searching, how do I, how do I talk to my young 
daughters hear about the death of their mother. And while they're, they're driving, they stop at a traffic light. And it was a bright and sunny day, and the, the sun was streaming into the car, and a truck pulled up beside them and blocked out the sun. So their car now sit in the shadow. And Barnhouse turned and asked his daughters, Would you rather be hit by the shadow of a truck or the truck? One daughter said, Oh, Daddy, that's a silly question. The shadow can't hurt you. I would rather be hit by the shadow than by a truck. And then Barnhouse responds, The truck of death hit Jesus, so Mommy only had to go through the shadow. It doesn't mean you don't shed some tears on the way to the funeral for your mom. But if you trust Christ, if you're moving towards this reality, oh, death loses its sting. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we have a, such a hard time believing. We have this sinful skepticism that's just built into our DNA, even though we see these beautiful Easter lilies and we're not surprised how it happens, somehow we can't imagine that happening to us. And it causes us, even a faithful Christian who's nearing death, to be fearful. And so I pray as we think about the resurrection here today and, and we all leave and go our different places. We see trees and we see flowers. We see creation itself and the beauty of it. We, we trust that if you've done that, you can do immeasurably more than we could possibly imagine with the dust of our bodies. This is a reality. This is our hope. Would you strengthen us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.